Thanks for joining us here at Summit Church, where our mission is to see changed lives that change the world. We want to see people connect with Jesus, enter into a growing relationship with Him and others, and discover their purpose so they can serve the world around them. If you have any questions or would like more information, please visit our website at summitelkins.com. Thanks again for joining us. Here is this week's message. I don't just want a church full of church people. I'd like some honest seekers in the midst of this, people who are questioning this and they want to understand it. I don't mind honest doubters. I don't mind people who are honest truth seekers. I have to admit, I get impatient with those dishonest time robbers. They're not interested in the truth. They're just interested in, in arguing. But if you're a truth seeker and you don't believe yet, I welcome you to the house of God. And maybe your church experience has not been like that in the past. Maybe your experience with other believers has not been that way before. But if you're a doubter, I welcome you. I'm glad you're here. Isn't that right, church? Okay, amen. Amen. Okay, one of Jesus' closest friends, he's nicknamed Doubting Thomas. He lived with Jesus for three years. He walked with him, and and, and he saw the miracles and all the things that Jesus did, and yet he doubted. The first time Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. And when they were telling Thomas about it, Thomas said, okay, I'm just, I just don't believe. Unless I stick my finger in, in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, unless I stick my finger in his side where the spear pierced, I'm just not going to believe. And later Jesus appears while Thomas is there. And I want you to notice how Jesus dealt with Thomas. He didn't chastise Thomas at first because of his unbelief. He said, hey, Tommy, come here. Stick your finger right here. Stick your finger in my side. You see what he was telling him to do? He was saying, examine the evidence. Look at the facts. And based on the facts, then believe. Then you need to believe because it's truth. Then he told him to stop doubting. But first he says, I want you to examine the evidence. And you might be like that. You might be in the first category where I have no faith. You don't. You don't accept everything that anyone tells you just because they told you so. That's okay. Jesus is not threatened by that. He's not threatened. But here's my question for you. Have you actually examined the evidence of the resurrection? Have you actually examined that evidence? And or have you dismissed the resurrection, not even considered it because it doesn't fit into your worldview, it doesn't fit into how you believe other people believe today? If you're an honest seeker, see, you know why this is so important? It's because you are staking your eternity in what you believe about the resurrection, whether you believe in the resurrection or whether you you don't believe in it. It's that important. And that's why you need to examine it if you are a doubter. See, time has been divided by this man, Jesus Christ. B.C. and A.D., that all of history has been divided by him. So would you not think it would be wise to examine what that most famous man in history, the man who, who claimed to be God, would it not be wise to examine whether that is actually true or not? I think it would be. And if the resurrection did happen, then it changes everything. If it didn't happen, then why, how do you explain the, the rapid, miraculous rise of the Christian faith, it went in less than 300 years. It went from an insignificant sect, a part of the Jewish religion, to taking over the entire Roman Empire. 
It's significant what happened in that period of time. And all of the original disciples except John died a martyr's death believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what's significant about that is they're the only ones who really knew whether it was true or not. And they went to death. Martyrs and liars are not made of the same thing. If I knew it was a lie and they were getting ready to cut my head off, I'd say, time out. It was a lie. We were just joking anyway. But they didn't do that. They willingly went to the gallows, if you will. Many historians have wondered how the Christian faith has spread like it did. I tell you how. It's because there is an empty grave and there is a resurrected Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. And many of those people of the first century, they witnessed his resurrection. They experienced it and they were willing to die for it. So, have you questioned your questions? Have you doubted your doubts? Have you examined the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And let's go to the second category. The second response is I had faith, but it didn't take. I had faith, but it didn't take. And in Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21, the second seed, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. They hear the gospel and they give their heart to Christ. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems, as soon as tragedy strikes, as soon as God doesn't answer their prayers the way they wanted them to, or persecuted for believing God's word, they wither away. More people today are saying this in American churches, not in other countries, but here. A lot of kids, when they leave home, they leave the church and they don't go back and Many of them give excuses and say things like, I had faith, but I grew up. Or my childlike faith was not ready for my adult life. Or I had faith, but I went to college. Some people may have gone to college and a professor or somebody who who proclaimed to be wise was making statements that you were not ready to answer and your church had not prepared you to answer those questions. Some people say, I had faith, but the church really hurt me. I hear that a lot. Another one I hear a lot here is, I had faith, but a man that I trusted in as a leader in the church fell into morality, and it devastated me, and I'm done with church because of it. I had faith, but a tragedy happened. I had faith, but God didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted him to. See, sometimes we come to God with our expectations of how we think God should act. And we unwittingly create a God in our image rather than God creating us in his image. We get it all backwards sometimes. This is how I think God needs to act. And so when God doesn't meet our expectations, we get disappointed and we turn our back on him. We lose our faith. And there's an interesting story in the trials of Jesus. When he went through all the series of trials before he went to the cross. And he's standing before the Roman uh, governor Pilate. And Pilate's in a quandary. He knows Jesus is an innocent man, but it would not be politically expedient for him to set him free. And he's really struggling at what to do in this. And he finds out that Jesus is from Galilee, and oh, man, it's, this is his out. Because Herod, who's the leader over all of Galilee, just happened to be in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. So he said, ship him off to Herod, I'm off the hook. And here's what... Herod's response was when he first saw Jesus. In Luke 23, 8, it says, When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. 
And that may have been your response. Maybe you were excited and full of joy when you came to Jesus as a child or, or as a teenager, or as a young adult, but life happened and it didn't stick. Look at the last half of verse 8. And from what he had seen or what he had heard about Jesus, what Herod had heard about Jesus, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. In other words, Jesus, you claim to be God. And if you are God, prove it. Do something. Show me that you're God. Demonstrate it. And I want you to look and see how Jesus responded to Herod. Verse 9. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. He would not answer him. And many people come to Jesus with that prove it to me mentality, just like Herod did. And we come to him with our expectations of how we think God should act and how we think God should do things. And, and, and I want you to be honest. A God who, who is, works on our terms, works on our expectations, is not really a God. He's a bellhop. He's a butler. He's one that's serving you and serving your demands. And if the resurrection is true, and I believe that the resurrection is true, Jesus is more powerful than you and I could ever imagine him to be. And there, because of that, it, it means that we can't boss Jesus around. We can't strike bargains with him and lay out the terms of our service to him. We can't do that. He's the king, not us. He's the boss, not us. And that's a revelation to a lot of people. The world doesn't revolve around you. Many times we think it is. But the resurrection also shows that Jesus is good. Not only is he king and Lord, but he's good. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy sin and sickness and disease and death. He came to destroy all of that, and he is a good God. And the resurrection tells us two things. He is king, he is the Lord, but he's also good. And here's my question to you in this category. Can you trust God is good even though you don't understand everything that God is doing? Can you trust that God is good even though you don't understand everything? And can you follow him as the king even though all of your questions have not been answered yet? That's called faith. That's what that's called. Can you follow him as king even though all of your questions have not been answered in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there is a character there who represents Jesus. His name is Aslan, and he's a, he's a lion. And then there's one of the girls, the character, one of the children, a human character. Her name is Susan. And Susan asked a question before she met Aslan for the first time. And the question she said, is he safe? That, that seems like a reasonable question. Here's a lion. Is he safe? And here's the response that she got. Say, who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. He's good. He, you know, if you want a safe life, don't go follow Jesus. Do not follow Jesus because I hate to break it to you. It's not his goal to make you comfortable. Look at everyone who ever followed him. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and come follow me. That's not safe, folks. That is not safe. 
And yet, that's what Jesus demanded of him. I mean, if you want a life that is good, a life that's fulfilled, a life that's full of the peace of God in the midst of all the storms of life of the world, and, and, and a life that doesn't look like everybody else's life, then come follow Jesus. Amen. Come follow Jesus. And again, I got to ask you the question, can you trust Jesus is good even though you don't understand everything? Can you right now follow him as a king even though all your questions have not been answered? Let's go to the third response to the resurrection. I have faith, but it isn't making a difference. Unfortunately, a good portion of churches all over America today People sitting in churches fall into this category, in my opinion. Look at verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represented, represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth or the lure, the attraction of money and things of this world. So no fruit is produced. They're not fruitful Christians. And there's a whole group of people who believe in Jesus Christ, but they're unfruitful. Why? Why are they unfruitful? There are just a lot of things going on in their lives right now that just seem to crowd Jesus out. He's just one of the many things that, that's going on in their lives. Some people will say things like, I'm a part of this organization and, and it's taking up a lot of my time. Well, my business needs all of my attention right now and I'm putting God on the shelf. Oh, we're really busy right now because we're remodeling our house or our, children, our kids we're involved in practices and ball games and rehearsals and all these different things that they have to go. And we like to go away on the weekends. And I have some friends that like to go to certain places. And I don't want to give up that part of my life because I want to go be with them. We go on and on. We're just too busy. And if nothing else gets in the way, we'll fit Jesus into that. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying that they're not good. But I want to ask you, who is the king of your life? Who is your Lord? Is there really any evidence from your life that you're making a difference? That you're different from the world? Ask yourself honestly, how much different is your faith? How much difference is your faith making in your life? How much is it, difference is it making in the lives of those around you? And that reminds me of the sisters, Mary and Martha. Remember Mary and Martha they were fixing dinner for Jesus and the disciples and Martha got upset with Mary because Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus and she wanted her to come in the kitchen and help her. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village, which is Bethany, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And you know, Martha's like many of us today. You know, we're so busy doing things and, and we're doing good things. I mean, fixing a meal for Jesus is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. As a man, I love it when my wife fixes a meal for me. It's a good thing. I'm not complaining about, but our lives sometimes are so full of clutter and distractions. It's not that we don't love Jesus. Sometimes we just don't have enough time to fit him in to our busy schedules. And look at what Jesus said to Martha. 
He said in verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary discovered what that one thing was. Mary discovered what the most important thing is, is her personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that one thing that she had, Jesus said, wasn't going to be taken from her. So let me ask you a question. If you're in this category, how many things in your life are keeping you from the one thing? How many things in your life are keeping you from the one thing? Jesus is challenging our priorities here. Look at Jesus. He's a man who understood his purpose. He knew exactly why he came into this world. And if we talked about last week, no one alive on planet Earth at that time understood and, and, and saw his life going the way it actually went. They, they didn't see it that way. It, it, he didn't fit their expectations, didn't fit into what they thought the Messiah was going to be. They should have been reading the Old Testament and looking at the prophecies there because it pointed to him. And I want you to think about it. There, there was nobody at the tomb. That morning, nobody there counting down 10, 9, 8, 7. This is really going to be good. 6, oh, look at it. The light's emanating from it. Look, the rock is getting ready to move. Look at it. The earth is quaking. I see something. Jesus is getting ready to come. No, nobody did that. Nobody was there because nobody was expecting it to happen. And my question is, how many things are keeping you from the one thing in your life? Because Jesus' life was moving in the opposite direction from everyone else on the planet. And that convicts me because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I feel like my life is moving in the same direction as everybody else's. Can people look at me? Can they look at you? And can they say there's something different there? There's something different about the commitment they've made. What is it about this faith that they have? Are we really different from the people of the world? Are we just people that have our fire insurance, we've tacked salvation on it, but really there's been no change from the inside out in our lives. How many things are keeping you from the one thing? And so we've seen the three different categories. I don't have faith, or I, have, I had a faith, but it didn't stick, or I have faith, but it's not making a difference. And the final response is this, and this is one of the many paradoxes of the Christian faith, and that is, I died, yet I live. I died, yet I live. In Matthew 12, 23, Jesus says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold, 100 times as much as has been planted. They are fruitful. The first group, the third group that we looked at there, they believe, but they weren't fruitful. This group believes, and they're fruitful. And I want you to see in John 12, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. You may not have thought about this, but this is the obvious. You cannot have a resurrection if you don't have a death first. You can't have a resurrection if there hasn't been a death first. 
Unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it will not produce a harvest. It will not produce a harvest. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the apostle Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seating, sitting at, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And what's the Apostle Paul saying then? What he's doing, he's drawing a parallel between your life and my life and the life of Jesus Christ. He's drawing a parallel between the two of us. And our belief in Jesus is not just based on a historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It goes a lot further than that. The story about his death and resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is your story and is my story if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. We will experience death and a resurrection. How can we do that? In Romans chapter 8, verse 11. This is incredible. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives inside of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That same power that brought life out of death, that raised Jesus up, lives inside of every single believer. Isn't that not what that says? He quickens our body. He brings our bodies to life. He brings resurrection, life, and power. And it flows through each and every one of us as a believer, at least it's supposed to. He wants to bring that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead through our lives every day. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced resurrection power? And again, you can't have a resurrection unless there's been a death. You can't experience the resurrection power unless you've died to yourself, unless you've died to your wants, unless you have died to your pride, unless you have died to controlling everything in your life and everyone around you, unless you die to the things of this world, you will never experience resurrection life. You won't. And you, you may have Jesus living inside of you. You may have the Holy Spirit, but unless you die, unless the seed goes into the ground and dies first, there won't be life produced from it. And it won't be resurrection life. And once we die to ourselves, we will be filled with that resurrection power and life. And it will then begin to produce a 30, 60, and 100-fold returns in our lives and a mighty harvest. Unless the seed dies, it cannot produce a harvest unless we die to ourselves. We cannot experience resurrection life. Worship team, come on up here and let's pull, bring this thing to a close. A scripture that I quote a lot, those of you that are here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. There's not any works added to that. There's not any additional things added to salvation. For by grace through faith you are saved, not because of your works. It says if we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And there's two things there that it tells us that are important to us. Number one, we have to confess that Jesus is Lord Jesus is king. He is boss. And you know what that means? It means we need to surrender to his lordship. 
There are a lot of people in church who love Jesus. There are a lot of people out there in the world who say they love Jesus, but they have not submitted their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore they have not experienced the resurrection life in their lives. They're not producing fruit. And then there's the second thing it says here. Now, tell me if I'm wrong. If I read this, the way to be saved, you have to confess that Jesus is Lord, submit your life to him, confess it. See, if you know scripture, scripture's not into just saying things for the sake of saying them. There, there, there's no rote or, or ritualistic things that you say that make you a Christian. No, God wants everything to come from the heart. He wants it to flow from your belief system, from your innermost being. He wants the truth to come out. So when you say Jesus is Lord, it's not just to, to sound good. When you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is I'm willing to submit and surrender my life to him. And then it says there, you have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that important. I don't want to be on the side of saying I believe Jesus, but I'm not really sure about the resurrection thing. Because the scriptures are clear. Confess with the mountain is Lord and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. Then you shall be saved. In my mind, belief in the resurrection is really important. I'm not talking about this is not a trivial thing. Folks, I want you to think about it. Not only do we believe, as Pastor Randy said at the beginning of the service, that this is the greatest day in the history of the church, it's the greatest day in the history of the world. But folks, there's no other event that we celebrate once a week. That's why we worship on Sundays and not on Saturdays. We worship on Sunday because this is the day that Jesus was resurrected. Early on Sunday, we, he was resurrected, and we celebrate that every single week. The resurrection. That's why we come together. It's important. It's an important truth that every one of us needs to embrace. Do you believe it? Which one of those four categories do you find yourself in? I'm a doubter. I used to believe and it didn't stick. Well, I have faith, but there's, I'm not really experiencing anything. There's not any fruit coming from it. Or I died and now I live. And whether you believe in the resurrection or not, you're betting your eternity on what you believe about the resurrection. You're betting your eternity on what you believe. What's your response? resurrection is the most historically verifiable event in ancient history. When you look at it from the science of history, there's no other event that has ever happened in ancient history that it has more evidence that it occurred and more evidence that Jesus lived than the resurrection and in Jesus' life. If you look at it from the science of history, because you can't reproduce the resurrection in a laboratory. We can't go and do it under the laws of science. It can only be proved under the laws of history. And if you've been here before, you've heard me go through it. Even today, um, Levi shared some of the, the reasons why the resurrection is true. And that's why so many people, the writer of the story about Ben-Hur, the famous movie and book, he set out to disprove Christianity and became a believer in the process. 
Josh McDowell, one of the greatest apologists of the Christian faith in the 20th century, started out to disprove the Christian faith and became, and he looked at the resurrection and he could not deny it. Uh, Lee Strobel, the case for Christ. He was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, an atheist, anti-God. His wife became a believer and he set out to disprove the Christian faith and he knew to do it, he had to disprove the resurrection and in his attempt to disprove it and using all of his skills as an investigative reporter, he gave his heart to Jesus and submitted to Christ. But even with all the evidence, you know what the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all the changed lives you see in this place. All the changed lives. Look at Ron Phillips down here. He was an alcoholic. He, he's blessed to be alive today. There were many times he told me he should have died, but God kept him alive. He probably wouldn't be alive today if he continued down that path. But Jesus threw a log in the path and said, hey, I've called you. I want to use you. His life has been completely changed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I look at many of you here, know your stories, and you're not the same person you used to be. You don't think like you did. You don't talk like you did. You don't do the things that you used to do because the resurrection is real and Jesus is alive. He is risen and he's living inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead wants to bring resurrection life to you. He wants to resurrect the dead areas of your life. He wants to resurrect you from depression and darkness and bondage. He wants to resurrect you from sickness and disease. He wants to resurrect you from all the things of the world that has held, kept, held us in bondage. It's because he's alive. He's here. He's the risen Lord. We're not doing this thing because we're guessing. We're doing this because we know it. We know it's true. I wasn't there when Jesus was raised from the dead. I did not see and have not seen the resurrected Lord with my physical eyes, but I believe with everything in me because I've encountered the living Christ in my life. He changed me. He filled me with his life and his power. And if he will do it for me, he will do it for you. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. Some of you need to move from the doubters need to move from, I had faith when I was younger, but I've lost it. Some of you need to move from that place. I believe, I know what you're saying is true, but I've not been producing much fruit in my life lately. I need to get back. I need to get back to where I need to be so I can grow on beyond that and become all that God has for me to be. And if you fit in any one of those three categories, I'd like you to just stand up right now where you are. You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ? You want to submit to his lordship today and not let it just be lip service? But you want to do it. And I, I'm not going to have you bow your head right now because I want it to be a strong statement that you're making. I'm committing to Jesus. And folks, if you can't do it in church, how can you be a witness to him out there? Anyone here? Remain standing. I want you to remain standing. 
lot of people scoff at this, but really the gospel was so simple that God wanted it to be simple. He didn't want us to put tradition and all these different things that we have to do to get right with God. He didn't want that. All we need to do is confess our sins to him. Then as we read in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe that God has raised him from the dead. Ask him to come into your heart and to be your Savior and to be your Lord. And it's really that simple. Confess your sins and ask him to come in to be your Savior and your Lord. And I believe he will be born again. If that's what happened to me, I was in eighth grade. My junior high basketball coach asked me, how if you died tonight? And God asks you, and you stood before God, and he asked you, give me one reason why I should let you into heaven. What would your answer be? I'd been to church all my life at that point. And I said, well, I'm a good guy. I go to church every Sunday. I try to do the right thing. He said, hell, that's great, but that won't get you into heaven. Your good works can't get you there. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did for you at the cross, and you had to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and be your Savior and your Lord. And you know, he stopped when he said that. And he said, you just prayed that prayer to yourself, didn't you? And I did. I didn't hear what he said after that because I said to myself as an eighth grader, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me of my sins and come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. And you know what? My life changed. It was that simple. It was shortly after that I got the call to preach that same year. Later, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Everything changed. And so those of you that are standing, thanks for continuing to stand. I'm going to say a prayer out loud, and I want you to repeat the prayer after me. And those of you that are believers, I want you to say the prayer out loud with us. Because I want you to encourage them. And I want you to recommit your life to him, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit to his lordship. So let's close our eyes, and I'm going to say a simple prayer, and I'd like you to repeat it after me, phrase by phrase. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. I confess you as my Lord, and I believe that you, Jesus was raised from the dead. accepting me and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may be a witness to you all the days of my life.